This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. I'm joined today by Gareth Cliff, a man who needs no introduction, founder and president of cliffcentral.com. Welcome, Gareth. Thank you so much, Sam. It's always funny when you, you say someone needs no introduction and then go ahead and give them an introduction. But I'm happy. Mine is short. The shorter an introduction is, the better. I only say that because we have a number of international listeners who may not be quite as au fait with your status and with the incredible content you've been creating for years. In South Africa, where we're sat right now, in the beautiful Westcliff Hotel, overlooking the incredible city of Johannesburg. I don't think I can fit any more superlatives into one, one sentence. <laughs> and there's even a rainbow that I'm looking out upon right now. Gareth has done a ton of stuff. For those that don't know, he was a former Idols judge. He's been one of Africa and actually the world's leading radio personalities. He formed one-on-one -on -one productions, which I think had its sort of catalytic conversion when you moved from radio into a far more entrepreneurial focus, really around creating internet and mobile infotainment content. I don't want to say anything else. You're going to do it much more eloquently than me. Could you give our listeners a little bit of background on all the other stuff that I've not mentioned and glossed over? Well, I hope there's enough. Otherwise, this is going to be embarrassing. Really, it's mostly been in media and communications. And most recently, we're doing quite a lot of strategic communication stuff too with, with cliffcentral.com, which is exciting. You know, there are lots of companies that are now cognizant of the fact that the media and marketing and advertising world has turned into a world of content. As a result, people who are specialist content creators are very well placed to become the most useful service providers to these people. Now, content creator is not a sexy term, but really it does involve everyone from the world's greatest musicians and filmmakers to actors, actresses, singers, dancers, people who can do interesting interviews, people who are podcasting like you are, and people who can come up with a good meme on the internet. They're all content creators, and these are the people will develop the media and marketing model of the future. And I think that's very, very exciting. It's something that I, I won't say I foresaw the whole thing, but it was something I was very aware of in all of the 15 years of radio, that things needed to change. Radio is 100 years old. In fact, it's now older than 100 years. And it's gone through enormous changes, but it really has stayed more or less the same for the last 40 or 50 years, where it's been broadcasting, you've had a few media owners in the world who established audiences. Those audiences were then delivered content by program directors and by people who were specialists in broadcasting. But essentially what's happened is that the entire thing has flipped onto its side and now the consumer is able to choose what they want to listen to to the degree that you choose who you follow on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else. And you can make a bespoke mix for yourself of all the different content interests that you might have. And you can be as niched as you'd like to be. So if you were interested in fly fishing, you can now find a fly fishing blog, a fly fishing podcast. You can find photographs of the best fly fishermen on the internet. This was inconceivable 10 years ago. This was the kind of thing that you would have needed to start a magazine and put multi-million pound investments into to make 
any kind of success out of because it was hugely resource intensive and people intensive. And all of that's changed. And I think this is the most exciting time for anyone who, whether they're big or small, wants to service a particular interest, topic, community, area, sector of an economy. There is no end to how specialized we can be. I call it narrow casting as opposed to broadcasting. That's a great quote. So the media in the ad world is now content. If we're thinking from Rupert Murdoch's world to Mark Zuckerberg's world, and content has the capability to entertain, to inspire, and to provoke, what do we think the new, the next wave of commercial models are going to be for the ad and content world? If Zuckerberg and Murdoch are your examples, you've chosen them as dreadful people in the whole world for us to think of as, <laughs> as examples. I think... People have realized the real value here isn't necessarily delivering branded messaging or hard sell product information, service-driven stuff, the stuff that businesses used to advertise. What they're starting to realize now is that if you're involved in producing something really great, a song, a podcast, a movie, a TV series, and you can be associated with that in some soft way, people appreciate it more. You also get the kudos of being a creative person who's involved in more than just your product. And although that seems numinous, what it does is it affords the brands much more credibility, much more engagement, and much more real connections with their consumers. Since everyone's in the media business, you have your own community to serve. So where broadcasters before would have had to service their audience. Now, if you're a bank or a, an engineering firm or a, a telephone company, you're producing content. If that content is good, it does your business enormous good. If your content's rubbish, it puts you on the back foot. So it's a lot more subtle, and you can't talk to people who don't understand that it's indirect about it, because then they'll drive you mad. They'll say to you, what's the return on investment? What's your reach? How are the ad agencies involved? The people who have, to be frank, and by no means am I trying to be nasty here, they've said it themselves, they're irrelevant now. And their model is irrelevant now. And if you go and put a 30-second commercial on television at exorbitant cost, by the way, and you think that that's going to get you the same kind of connection to a consumer, to a, an already converted and possibly an evangelist for your brand, your product, your service, if you think that putting that ad on TV is going to do as much for them as a series on, let's say, cancer, which we've done recently for Discovery in South Africa. So if you are a woman, let's imagine that you are, because this is a women's cancer series. So it's, it's an oncology series, but it's particularly aimed at women. Let's say you're diagnosed. You probably get a few minutes with your doctor. And then the worst thing that can happen is you're left alone with Google at home and you think you're going to die in about five days. All you see is bad news on the internet and everyone on the internet is giving you the worst case scenario. So we've put together a series of 10 episodes for Discovery. They're just paying for it. They're not putting their name all over it. It's not some loud, please look at us thing. They have tremendous information because they are gathering their primary purpose, actually, is that they're a data organization. They're an information business. They are the biggest repository of knowledge for cancer treatment, diagnosis, expertise in South Africa and possibly even in the world. So to put their information to use in a 12-part podcast series with experts who are the world's most renowned oncologists, people who have alternative treatments, how do you tell your husband? How do you tell your children? Who can you talk to about this? What should you not worry about that other people will tell you you should? 
And you can only have that meaningful relationship with someone because they've chosen to come and download that podcast. It's like the people who listen to your show, they're the fish who've jumped into the boat. You're not broadcasting and hoping someone will stop by, some pedestrian will stop by and listen. You're actually putting this together for an increasingly well-known audience to you, which means you can be honest, direct, you can be like you would with a friend. And that's unlike anything that the media environment's ever provided. It's very, very interesting and, and it's meaningful. And that's why our company's called One on One, because that is the relationship. You're putting this together for one person, even if it ends up being heard by millions. Thank you. There's a ton of questions I have off the back of that alone. It's interesting hearing you talk about corporate content. And one of the things that, or the thoughts I had then was about bridging capitalism with society's needs and using content to do that. We actually spoke earlier about the firm Perpetual Altruism that allows influential people to raise money for charity by creating unique digital assets. A totally new model, a really cool concept. And again, you know, another example of technology helping solve today's problems. Speaking of which, can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what you're up to at the moment and some of the other exciting entrepreneurial ventures you're involved in? There are a number of things that are, that are going on in South Africa at the moment that have created opportunities that weren't really here when things were functioning better. And that is a slight against our government and is a slight against our, our precarious economy at the moment. But I think where there is need, where there isn't an alternative, and there aren't that many competitors in the market, there's huge opportunity and there's massive drive from the people who recognize that opportunity to make it into a reality. What's going on at the moment in, in the world of, of media is very exciting. I've been in this, this line of work for a very long time and I've never seen as many changes as I have now. There's a lot of money to be made. There are lots of questions to be answered and problems to be fixed. And we're focused very much in three directions at the moment. The distribution model is one of them. And I actually think the insurance businesses have cracked the code on that one because insurance is the most expensive ad word on Google. And the reason for that is because there's enormous competition and insurance companies run by actuaries. Actuaries sit and crunch the numbers to the nth degree until they've figured out precisely what even a word is worth. And we should take our cue from them if we want to find out what the value of a referral in media, because it's a referral. Um, in insurance, they call it lead generation. And I think we must take our cue from them in order to calculate the value of content and the value of distribution networks that relegate that content to wherever it needs to go and, and distribute it to the people who want it. The other area is the creation of that content, which I've always been interested in. We're doing a series at the moment, which I love because it's something I care about. It's called Blind History, where we're doing 15 minutes on various people from, from history. Uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. And what's interesting about podcasts, and you've probably known this for a long time, and your listeners already know this because they're listening to you and they're podcast listeners. Once you do that, you never go back. Our time is at a premium. We don't have time to read like we once did. People have children, people have work, people have obligations. There are all kinds of things encroaching on our time at every given moment, and, and we don't even sleep properly, frankly. If you can use your drive into work or the treadmill that you're on at the gym, or while you're cooking dinner with a pair of headphones on to educate, inform, inspire, motivate, provoke your, your brain into action, that's a kind of gym for your brain. And people are starting to understand that in podcasting, because you can choose in very narrow fields what you're interested in, 
This is how you become cleverer. You can hear the brilliant people you've had on up to now, where you've dropped your standard horribly by having me on. And you can learn from these very, very clever people as if you were at a dinner party with them or it's as if you had an hour of their time. Now imagine what it would cost you to go to a university where you had Tim Berners-Lee there to speak to you. You'd have to have been, your parents would have had to pay a fortune to put you in there. And then maybe or maybe he wouldn't be on the roster for the four years you were at that university. But on podcasts, you can listen to him being interviewed by four different people in four different places and give you four different answers to questions that you didn't even know you had. That is the university that everyone can get to. And it's the university that will give those people who are hungry for that information an opportunity to hear it like never before at very little cost in whatever part of the world they're in. And this is how education is changing. And listening, this is very important, listening is our evolutionary predisposition for learning. We only started reading, the majority of us, 200, 300 years ago. The elites could read and write, but not very well. And you only need to look at any letter written in around 1600 to realize their, their language abilities in writing were poor. But we listen, and we've always listened, and that's the primary way we learn. And you, you can do other things while you're listening. So it doesn't need to take up your precious time. Thanks, Gareth. And talking about the world speeding up, I remember when we did a podcast with John Thompson, chairman of Microsoft, who said, the world's moving so fast today, but it's never going to move this slow again. We have less and less time every day. And as human beings, we only have a limited capacity. In fact, one of the interesting observations I've made of recent years is Christmas comes and everybody's knackered. It's a proper two-week detox. I put my phone down for at least, I don't know, three hours and didn't do any work. And it was awesome, but that's because of the pace of the world. So we need to become more efficient with our time. And I think you're right. Being able to listen to podcasts like your podcast and hopefully like this one on the go, is it's a great way to digest content and to educate yourself. It's indisputable that podcasting is the fastest growing medium in the world right now. According to Edison Research, three years in a row, 70% growth year on year. That makes it a faster growing medium than Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. In fact, probably all of them put together at the moment. Facebook's having trouble getting double-digit growth. So 70% growth year on year. Podcasting is absolutely the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about, except in podcasting. We're the only ones talking about it. The rest of them are slowly starting to catch on. And by the time they do, we'll have established products like we have, which I think will be enormously valuable. You heard it here first. Short Facebook, short Twitter, Cliff Central's going public. We're doing it. No, I'm kidding. And also, don't take that. That was not, that was not advice. <laughs> we are regulated. Please read the small print. Let's talk about Africa's tech scene. And I don't mean, you know, what's the potential for Africa, because we talk about that stuff all the time. And yes, it's super exciting. But can you tell the, our listeners a little bit about, I mean, Cape Town, for example, has got one of the biggest burgeoning tech scenes on the continent. Some incredible financial technology companies there. I can think of a few like Brisk, like Jumo. Can you tell us a little bit about the fintech or just the tech community that's being developed in South Africa, how the big tech firms are reacting to that and what you think the opportunities? I had the great pleasure of going to Silicon Valley three years ago with a group of South African entrepreneurs, most of them in fintech companies. Some very clever people, people who'd figured out how to, we have complicated laws here in terms of your financial documents and your financial compliance, whether you're a company or an individual. One of them had launched a company about three years before, which he also listed and then took international. 
that basically can take in all of this information in a matter of minutes and put out what is required legally. And all the boxes are ticked and everything's done. Another one is a device which you can use for credit cards in the middle of nowhere using whatever cell phone signals around, whatever the, the 4G or 3G or edge, as it may be, network is available in the most rural places. It's called Yoko, and they've, they've done very, very well. There's a guy who's developed a, a little tag that you can attach to valuables, your keys, your bag, whatever it might be, and it connects to Bluetooth with your phone and then geotags the particular location of that so you don't lose your things. These are very practical solutions to very obvious problems. And because South Africa has always been, it's got this history of being this very pioneering place where a mix of the first and the third world. So we kind of bridge a gap that I think is quite sexy and interesting to people in much more developed economies who are playing around in a want to rather than a need to environment. And that's exciting. From the point of view of the tech scene, it's not just fintech companies. There are there are extremely clever businesses in South Africa that use mobile technology, for example. We didn't really go to the laptop or desktop stage. South Africa went straight from the analog phones to data. And most people's only interaction with the internet or anything to do with the internet has been through smartphones and feature phones in, in certain markets as well, which means we skipped that whole computer age. People went straight to the phone and it has become the way that families communicate with each other, communities do things, political parties operate. It's quite extraordinary how well this stuff has taken off and how quickly it's taken off here. The penetration rate is faster, I think, in places like Kenya and Nigeria than almost anywhere in the world. And we have people who are contributing content that really have absolutely nothing except their phones dirt poor people who are producing amazing stuff. And because they have a connection, and they prioritize data, by the way, we're talking about people who honestly are not sure every night if they're going to get food, but they'll make sure they have data. And that's an unbelievable thing. You know, in the first world, you don't have to think about those things because you can have both. And data is expensive here, and people find ways to pay for it. And a lot of people are very patronizing about the poor, and they say, oh, well, you know, they can't afford X and they can't afford Y. But when your lifeline, your connection to the world is your smartphone, you find ways to prioritize those things. And poor people are just as resourceful as rich people. They find ways to, to get the things they need. That's exciting. And you, you can test things here because they cost less to test them here. Your rate of failure is probably going to be lower because you can test it with more people and find the mistakes and then take it to a market which is much more established. And you'll have a product that you at least know is beyond the beta phase of testing, which is another reason that a lot of people develop apps and, and do them much more cheaply here than they might in places like London or New York or, or even, you know, in Delhi, for example. Thank you. That's awesome. So I'm going to pivot that a little bit, but only a little bit, to talking about the World Wide Web Foundation, a foundation very close to my heart and one that Motive Partners supports a great deal. They recently celebrated the 30th birthday of the World Wide Web, which was quite an incredible moment. And I imagine that Sir Tim didn't think it was going to be a 30-year journey or even a 1,000-year journey when he was in CERN struggling to stop the cleaners from turning off the first ever technology stack. So they created a 50-50 concept, talking about getting the next 50% of people, the final 50% online. The majority of those people are in Africa. 
which is why when they celebrated the 30th anniversary, they ended in Nigeria. I want to really dig into your creativity and your entrepreneurship here to ask a very open question. But what do you think we can do as society and individuals to connect people around the world and to help the World Wide Web Foundation on their mission. I'm glad that we don't have an argument about the fact that this is the most interesting place to talk about these things because it is the largest unsaturated consumer market in the world for everything, including information. And there's a hunger for it here, unlike anywhere else, because there is such extraordinary poverty in some places, such unbelievable wealth in others, and there's absolutely no balance of distribution between them. What you've got is people who, <laughs> essentially, if they're left out, and I don't think you have to be, I'm not accusing you of this, but you don't have to be patronizing your how can we help. What's good about what you asked is that I think the rest of the world is interested already in doing whatever it can to get involved here, not necessarily altruistically, perhaps because this is a massive business opportunity. And people in Africa are very, very quick to cotton on to trends to work things out. We had things like M-Pesa in, in Kenya, which was just a world first in so many ways in terms of how money can be sent from one phone to another. It seems obvious now, but when it was done, it was extraordinary and very brave. And it broke down barriers which people believed were unbreakable before. The idea that the things like banking and insurance and pensions and medical care and that kind of thing can't be sorted out by a collective a sort of a hive brain of people who actually don't have any option is precisely why this thing will be propelled forward on its own momentum. It doesn't require more expertise. It doesn't require any other kind of technology to the technology already available in the rest of the world. It might require some money. There probably needs to be some spending on infrastructure. There are opportunities for people who want to do that to have a share in the enormous spoils of what that connectivity and what that infrastructure will bring to people. Because we've seen, and you mentioned capitalism, and I like this 50-50 idea. I think it's a very powerful idea to get people to rally around. But I think that the market will take care of itself and people are sharp and people are streetwise here. And there's a different kind of clever to being streetwise than to being academic. And very often you'll find that the streetwise people cotton onto this technology and the opportunity a lot faster than the university-wise people. Yeah, and you're right to call it out. To help, it doesn't need to be altruistic. It can be commercial, and people shouldn't apologize for that. In fact, often it's the quickest way to get things done. And people like honesty. They do. I just want to mention a friend of mine called Vinnie Lingham, who moved to Silicon Valley a while back and started a business called Civic very recently. Civic is an interesting idea in that using blockchain technology and the shared ledger, we should be able to take a lot of things that are in the political realm online so that they are unforgeable and verifiable, where we can put any question to referendum and millions of people can receive a message on their phone, take part in that referendum with a minimum of expenditure by the state, complicated infrastructure, ballots being delivered, counting offices. It can all be done on the blockchain. And I think this will solve many of the civil and societal and political problems that Africa is going through at the moment, not to mention the rest of the world. That, to me, represents an enormous opportunity for people who want to believe that there are incorruptible systems. Because the minute you introduce 
the state into a relationship between two consenting individuals, it tends to open up the doors to corruption of some kind or another, even in the most benign and well-meaning governments. And if there's a way for the, the internet and particularly blockchain technology to provide us with the means to verify these things without any ability for it to be copied, tampered with, messed up, played around with or forged, I think we'll have honesty in politics and society from the point of view of the relationship between people and the state. That's very important. It's also something we were talking about earlier, fairly passionately outside. You know, Vinny and, and Civic is unquestionably, in my mind, a critical step for politics in the future. Right? We know that democracy doesn't work, as you said and Churchill said, there's nothing better at the moment. But political honesty and transparency is essential. And to link it back to the content stuff, when, when people campaign and build momentum and bring society on side with false advertising... No, I'm not talking fake news. I'm talking false advertising. Telling people that a referendum will mean one thing for them when it means another. Just this morning on my show, one of my guests read a letter that Cicero, 2,100 years ago, received from his brother. In this letter, he said, this is the way, basically, that you bamboozle the public. This is how you become a politician. Number one is pretend to be all the things that you're not, if you're not, because otherwise they don't believe you. Number two, promise everything. Have intention to deliver on those things which benefit you, but promise everything. Always give them hope. And there was one other one. But the important thing here is what you indicated just now, is that there isn't any accountability for the false advertising that politicians give us, or religion for that matter, that they both throw at us. And we, we're credulous. We have learned nothing in thousands of years. Uh, Athenian democracy is, God, almost 2,400 years old. We still haven't perfected that system. And you're right to point out that Churchill said democracy is the worst system, but it's still better than all the others. I uh, paraphrased that badly. But we don't have a better way of doing this at the moment. And when people look at the situation in the United States, Brexit, South Africa, and the unbelievable out-of-control corruption we've got going on here, and there are countries that are worse still, and China with this nonsense of pretending to be communist, but at the same time really being the most arch-capitalist country in the world. You know, the market seems to be a far more honest way of figuring out how to do things than the ideologies that surround the market that are made up and that people seem to attach importance to even after they've been proven to be worthless. I could do this all day, by the way. I, I genuinely, I really could. And yeah, God, we've got, there's so much I want to ask you. You've clearly made a fantastic career out of being interesting. But we've got to wrap up and I want to... Well, firstly, say a huge thank you. I've taken a, a whole page of notes and I, I love taking notes because I get to refer to them in a week's time and remind myself of some of that content. But I think the statement you made that sticks out the most is that Africa is the largest unsaturated consumer market on the planet. What opportunity, right? And a nation and a continent, South Africa and Africa, that want to do stuff, right? A society of hungry, passionate people youngest people that want to do exciting things i'm looking forward to spending a lot more time here johannesburg and cape town i've got a soft spot for that that part of the world thank you so much gareth thank you and congratulations on all the work that you've done i am very interested in what the wwwf are doing and i think that uh, there's probably a lot of purchase for them in african soil there are loads and loads of people who owe their emancipation to the internet this is no small thing if you want to save poor people like Bob Geldof used to in the 1980s, 
the single best thing you can do for them is to emancipate them in the information age by giving them a connection to the rest of the world. And that's what the World Wide Web has done. It's what the internet continues to do. The moment that happens, they are a part of the global community and the global market, and their lives have the, the ability to get better. Without that, they are destined to a medieval and a servile and a subsistence living which will cripple them and their descendants until someone breaks that glass wall and, and they manage to get connected. And the timing is of the essence, which is why this 50-50 is so important, this, this idea that the 50% who are not connected need to be connected immediately because every moment we waste is a customer lost if you want to be a, an arch-capitalist or if you are one of those touchy-feely do-gooders. It's someone who is going to be left behind essentially I don't think it's too dramatic to say that given enough time, this will separate humanity into two species and the one will not be anything like the other and we can't allow that to happen. Thank you for your time and insights and thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.